0: From the heart of the Forest City, focusing on the biggest stories in London, this is the Craig Needles Podcast. Now here's your host, Craig Needles.
1: The Craig Needles Podcast and the Friday Roundtable here at ClassicRock981.com. LondonNewsToday.ca. Wherever you get your podcast, you can find us there too. As I said, it is Friday Roundtable time, so we're joined here in studio by political inside amazing Uh former council candidate Jeremy McCall is here. Our two tallest roundtable panelists by a and lot, I think, by a lot, and then our shortest one, <laughs> <laughs> also by a lot. Oh my! <laughs> Cox is on here. The as same well. team. It's alright. <laughs> How's everybody doing? Awesome. Awesome, Thank thanks Travis. Yeah, uh, let's let's get into the news right away, and I and I want to talk about the London Health Sciences mm-hmm. Center story from this week because that was kind of the the big thing that, uh, that that surprised some folks the way that it happened. Um, there's at least been a, a temporary leadership change at London Health Sciences Center. Jackie Schleifer Taylor, who had been doing the the president and CEO's job, she's on a leave uh, after in the midst of the travel expense scandal that's been going on there. Now, uh, to be clear, the hospital board is saying that this is a medical leave and not related to the travel scandal. As we will discuss, I have a hard time, you know, reconciling those two things. It feels like the timing is is a little too on the nose here. Nonetheless, that's the situation we are in. Uh,
2: Jeremy, as this story kind of made its way through the news this week, what were your thoughts? Uh, So as a former healthcare worker myself, this is kind of a hard story to read. Um, There's always a fine balance between investing in your staff for training and development and really just not having your priorities in order. I think it's great if your work offers you a vacation to the Middle East or to a warm country, but there's so much that needs to be done at home, right? In theory, we have this amazing system, but in execution, it's two years to see somebody. It's a whole bunch of staff not filling jobs because they're just so unhappy and so not being thought of, and it's just we have a good idea that's not working properly, so I'd prefer to see them stay here and work on that as opposed to go overseas. And
1: and, and we talked about this a little bit last week on the the, the roundtable, and I was glad that, that Steve Kords and, and, and Kelly Elliott, uh, Kelly Ellie, Kelly Zegner, rather, we're here uh, to discuss this because they, they've run organizations like this. They understand sort of that when other people's money is is, is what's being spent here, be it tax dollars or or be it uh, donation money, whatever it is, there's going to be some more scrutiny that comes with that. But when you're running a multi-billion dollar hospital, there's a whole lot that comes along with that, too. So I get that there's competing interest here. Mojde, what were your thoughts
2: on it?
0: You know, uh, the, my immediate thought was, listen, I don't have enough information. Mm-hmm. The number of executives that did attend seems a little high. Yeah. Particularly when we had a comparison to about the same type of health sciences. I wouldn't say same type. I would say the same number of staff, like very comparable uh, staffing complement between Hamilton Science Health Sciences and, and London Health Sciences. Um, and Hamilton
1: sends one person.
0: Correct. And yeah. so, you know, but I... But I am also thinking about one other thing. I did a little bit of digging. Hamilton did not have the kind of turnover LHSC had. Yep. So if they were, you know, for me, it wasn't enough information to, to really land on. Was this a poor decision? Where's the board on this, first and foremost?
1: That is my question. Because that's it. a we'll lot of spending.
0: Where's the board? And, uh, and, and I don't particularly see this out of stride with the type of spending that... Has happened under the LHSC around similar things. 2019 pre-pandemic, going to Dubai, Oman, yep. and, and 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 you know, so there was another Middle East uh, trip there, uh, with a pretty hefty tab. Yep. Um, all that to say is, give me some more info, and and let's talk about where the board is on this.
1: Right, and and I wonder where the board is on this too, because you would think after the board kind of saw things get a little bit hot with the previous Middle East junket that they might have said, all right, from now on, if we're doing travel expenses outside of North America, you've got to come talk to us or at the very least over a a certain threshold of dollars. And I know that the board would say, well, there is a threshold of dollars. Uh, Yeah, I'm sure you have one. It's got to be lower than where it's at right now. And so I'm, I'm wondering
3: where the board is in this one too, Nathan. Well, I think that you guys teed it up very nicely. LHSC, there's a governance problem. Right. And it's not necessarily exclusive to LHSC, but there's a governance problem. I agree. And when it comes to accountability, and really in most things, it comes down to governance as a starting place to better understand it. There's 15, 16, 17 people on the board of directors. Correct me if I'm wrong. Some one of Something those numbers, like which is way too many to begin with. And it, it, it like that number fluctuates based right. on who's resigning and so right. forth. Yeah. And but what it is, we have to understand. This is a all volunteer board of very well-meaning, good you know, otherwise, and frankly, talented people in a lot of respects. Mm -hmm. But this is a volunteer board that is appointed without necessarily, um, you know, the skill sets or the accountability necessary uh, to do the job. And really, when you have a volunteer board that runs a multi or, or over billion dollar corporation that manages executives and is responsible for overseeing them, that make six, seven figures in a couple of years, I mean... It's a recipe for disaster, quite frankly, and we're not necessarily sure. Uh, You know, when you sign up to be a volunteer on a board like this, I mean, compare it to city council, which is a democratic institution. It's a little bit different, obviously. But, you know, we're talking about city council right now and whether or not they should be increasing their pay based on what they do, the scrutiny they get, and, you know, just, you know, attracting talented people. But also the expectation that the public and the people that are the clientele, the services, what we expect of them and to be able to hold them accountable. You know, these people that are on LHSC board, they're not sweet little innocent babies that are not able to, you know, defend themselves. They're obviously uh, talented enough to get to a role that way. But when they're volunteers, they're not necessarily signing up to be, um, to, to endure the kind of scrutiny that occurs in time like this. And I'll go back to, um, the Paul Woods example, when he was dismissed two days after, I think it was, um, It was found out or discovered that he was traveling back and forth to the states to see his family, which apparently he was completely entitled to do. He was able to do that, and And they lost a lawsuit because. Well, and this is the point: you can you can pay for a retainer, a ten twenty thousand dollar retainer a year per person on the LHSC board for the next ten or twenty years with the money that you spent on. Settling with Paul Woods in the first place—I don't know what they settled for—but you can assume that it's a significant amount of money. Even
1: if it's two years' salary, right? That you're closing in on a million dollars,
3: right? So the yeah. point is that you're pennywise and a pound foolish, and this is what our problem is ultimately with. Uh, frankly, uh, um, you know, healthcare systems and hospitals. Um, but you know, I can go on 3M's website right now. Uh, which is a private corporation. I can go on LCBO's website right now, which is a, right now, which is a crown corporation. And I can figure out more about them that's publicly available, both of those entities, than I could from LHSC in terms of annual reports and the accountability on the back end and all that stuff. But they also have boards that are Accountable that there's certain rules that are right. in place for entities and, like that that simply aren't there for and, for and, and
1: the and the 3M board as an example private company but still uh, if if you have board members who every couple of years have to say oh we've lost another CEO that was making you know uh, five hundred thousand or six or seven hundred thousand dollars a year because there was this mess or that mess right. if if the shareholders yes. would be infuriated
3: right. and they would be coming for the board.
0: Right. And it That's just, so not happens what happens
3: here. The shareholders here for LHSC are us, are us as yeah. the taxpayers of Ontario. We are also the clientele being the patients that need to use it. I mean, we are a lot of things here, and ultimately, it, these things should be mandated by the provincial government, plain and simple. And I don't think, for as much as there's a lot of criticism that that goes after the provincial government for you know uh, wanting to privatize healthcare, all these crazy things that apparently they're supposed to be doing, they've been very, very gentle in the healthcare space since their mandate was initiated in 2018, relative to what they could have done yes. and could be doing. And You know, this is one of those items of reform that I think is definitely should be on the table. And uh, there's a lot more experienced people with a lot more detail that can uh, get into this. But there's a governance problem. And um, they may be very good people on the board. But, uh, you know we need to, to fix how it's structured.
1: How would you uh, either, Jeremy, how would
2: you fix uh, the, the the governance structure?
3: I, I have a list. Um, so
2: <laughs> I, I assume your average listener knows about boards, what they read publicly. Yeah. So to put it into perspective, I'm not here to speak for that board, but I'm- And on, everyone here but me yeah. has been on board. Sure, so, so I'm on a board that has a budget of roughly 1.5% of what LHSC has. And despite that, I had to fill out an application and I had to be just chosen by city council to sit on that board. Mm-hmm. multiply that budget by massive factors. And I know one person on the hospital board. You're on the library board just to, for uh, sure. And yeah, I not yeah, yeah, just, for them, but I'm on yeah, the board. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, you, yeah. You're not speaking for the board, sure, but just so people sure. know which board. We're I had to about. apply. Yeah. I had to be chosen. Yeah. I had to give credentials and I had, it's very, very public. And you've um, done this job for a few council. Terms, yeah, so, yeah, exactly. And meanwhile, I know one person on the hospital board and I asked I said, out of curiosity, how did you get on? She said, they asked me. Mm -hmm. Right. And so that in itself really is a red flag, right? So we look at Toronto city council, premier Ford said, let's make this more efficient, let's make it a smaller council. Let's do a whole bunch of things to streamline this process. But we have top secret boards of appointed people managing huge amounts of money, creating brand new positions when the frontline is struggling. Uh, you know, using donor dollars to go on trips around the world. I donate to the hospital myself. I don't get to go on trips to Dubai, to Portugal, to Brazil. If my donation's going there and not to patient care for those sick kids with cancer, I might just keep it for myself. Right. Right. So I think if I had some input on this, is where your money's going, I might be like, "Whoop! I'll get, give it to homelessness." For instance, right. So and, that's a huge issue. And I, and
1: I find that fascinating, and, and I'm glad you mentioned it because. You know, library board is a, is a good example. Pick another municipal board. If uh, uh, there was some big scandal at, at Tourism London, the Tourism Board, uh, the counselors who are on the Tourism Board, the immediate be calling them being like, well, what's going on here? And the people who are selected for the Tourism Board by council, the counselors that put those people on the board would also have to wear it. Here we don't have like no one wears it. Mm-hmm. And that's right. the problem here.
0: Yeah, we have the CEO on medical leave, right?
1: Yes. So that's the official explanation. Again, do with that what you will, but that's what we're being told.
0: Right. So I, I would love to see a very clear, you know, to to Nathan's point, and and thanks Jeremy for some of the immediate points around board recruitment and just better governance. You know, to Nathan's point, we have high caliber people on this board, yes, and they we know do. what they signed off on, and what I think is required right now is. More transparency around these decisions, if it is involving, as Jeremy mentioned, public um, donor money yep. and, uh, and and public funds. I also don't want to like conflate this with the issue of healthcare mess. I also want to be very careful about the high level of scrutiny that is garnered when you are a black leader, the first female black leader of a health sciences center in this nation. Uh, that is who we are speaking yep. about right now as the CEO. So, and, 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 and Dr. Shetler-Taylor Ch- comes with 25 years of experience, just so we understand yep. this. So I just want to balance my perspective saying and I don't have enough information, the board's responsibility is to be a little more transparent and and not to throw the ceo under the bus and i'm not i'm making an assumption that this is what's happening um because of the timing of this all and i hope that dr shuffler chair taylor is all right and if this is a separate issue fine board needs to take some responsibility i
1: I agree about the board i will say this um, media pressure on the previous person who had this job who was a white guy in his 40s or 50s wherever paul woods is uh, cost him that gig, so like it's a gig that comes with media pressure, regardless yeah. of of. Of course, of, but he went on a trip like. right yeah. during
0: a pandemic and yeah. had a lot of explaining to, you despite being allowed to.
1: Go Again, and, and, and that and that's why I think he won the lawsuit. Is he asked the board, and this is me guessing that he won the lawsuit? But the statement that LHSC put out when the lawsuit was over did not sound like someone who had won. A did lawsuit. he win the lawsuit, or did they? I think they settled. Yeah, like yeah, they, was they they there were uh, at the very least. Um, they conceded. They, 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 they took the L, as but, the kids yeah. would say, <laughs> on, the, on, the, on the settlement, I think is very well, clear. The point yeah.
3: is that when you have, again, I come back to it being, and again, everybody, well, not everybody, a number of people would know me in coming on this uh, show. I'm not so eager to throw money towards people who are appointed at, at the government level and say, hey, everybody should be paying paid more and otherwise. I have made the case that, you know, city council, for example, should be, and I just think it's most appropriate because we expect them to do a lot and we should expect them to do a lot and they should. Be accountable for it. I agree. With when that. you have a board of directors of a over billion dollar corporation that is all volunteer, where the CEO is making you know closer to half a million dollars than to a hundred thousand dollars a year, uh, the CEO uh, in this uh, case is making seven 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 twenty five. Forgive me. Yes, closer no, to seven fifty rather. Yep. Right. Exactly. What you typically have is the CEO that runs the joint. They are the ones that are influencing uh, the boards of directors, and that's all over the place that's not just in this case that's nope. whenever you have that kind of dynamic whether it's a board of directors that hires an executive director or um, anything like that and that's that's not necessarily a, a bad thing for the ceo to obviously have a lot of uh, a lot to say but when they look at again when they don't have the respect that this is you know this is a volunteer board they're looked at as a nuisance or they're surround themselves with people on the board that are more inclined to empower the kind of and, and create a, a a fiefdom i suppose You you know, you don't get scrutiny. And why would you if if you applied to be on this board? You're a volunteer. You want to pad your resume a little bit and then move on to the next thing. Again, I'm not calling into question the character or capacity of the people on the board. But what I am calling into question is the expectation that is set on them. And we should expect a lot of the governance structure and the directors on the board of something like LHSC. And quite frankly, it's difficult to do when they're volunteers and it just doesn't make sense mm-hmm. so you know there's an accountability that needs to be inserted i am encouraged that the provincial government and the ministry of health will be investigating this and i'm certain well i'm very confident that the results of that investigation will be uh, quite revealing and uh, but it is going to take time surely so it needs to be dealt with and uh, again it, it's something that uh, it, it's something that is simply not appropriate and we don't hear enough Uh, about these issues until there's a crisis
0: and
1: and i want to be clear um if this is something that you know was overlooked by the board and perhaps should have had some more scrutiny i think we all agree that it it should have been uh i don't think this should necessarily cost jackie schleifer taylor her job uh if she's playing by the rules the issue was the rules not the player in that particular situation. Now, should she have a better read of, well, we're really having to tighten the, tighten the belt around here. Maybe we shouldn't do doing this trip or taking as many people on that trip. Yeah, maybe, but I don't think that's necessarily a fireable offense provided that everyone was following the rules. And I, I think based on what we've heard about, everyone seems to be have, have following the rules. The issue is the rules need to change. And the accountability needs to increase. Right. Well, pay, and that starts with the board.
3: Paul Woods was, was following the rules. Yeah. He was following the, the and then merits you got, of his contract. Now,
1: right. I will, I will say this and, and, this is not typically the the approach I take, even though the hospital was in the wrong, they kind of had to fire Paul Woods. You know what I mean? Like Like when he is taking shots at nurses in the media for doing potlucks, and then also at the same time taking trips to the United States, you've lost the trust of the people who are your frontline staff. And I know that was an expensive... Move, but I just don't know how much of a choice the board would have had in that case. I don't know if you agree with me there.
3: Well, I just think that ultimately, again, for somebody, I I admire, frankly, uh, the courage of somebody like um, Dr. Woods to have done that. Obviously he faced the consequences and, right. you know, maybe he would decide not to do that. I'm not gonna argue the merits of, you know, calling out the nurses the way he did. That's up to him. But he mm. is the CEO and he right. also just knows that, you know, in terms of public perception, if something like that went down, it was important for him to, you know, say, say something and have the courage it, yeah. to do it. And at the end of the day, it's not like he snuck across the border. No. <laughs> There's processes to <laughs> yep. get there and back that he followed. Like, you know, there was an assumption made, and obviously there was there was motives behind it uh, uh, to get rid of him. And again, I don't know Dr. Woods, but the point is he made a lot of money after the fact in clearing his name. Yep. And the chair, I believe it was the chair at the time, stepped down like two Correct. days after he was fired. So it's like... Who won that one? So, yeah. you know, and, and frankly, to your point, Craig, this could be something similar in this instance. We don't know. Right. And I think they said, it well, you know, there's more information that needs to come out. But, you know, we, we need to be able to expect a great deal of a board of directors like this one for what they do and what they're expected to do um, hey, I'll give you a few dollars a year, but I'm also gonna be coming at you with accountability when it comes, when, when, uh, when it comes down to it and in a moment like this. So Jeremy, you've worked in healthcare. What is it like if you're doing some of that
1: frontline work while at the same time there's, you know, that over at the, the C-suite there's maybe some problems?
2: So when you're trying to juggle a large patient load with broken or outdated equipment and not enough PPE and not enough resources and people aren't coming in for work cause they're sick and they can't fill their shifts. When you hear those C-suite folks after they've done their catered lunches or jumping on a plane and going on an international trip paid for by taxpayers or donor dollars, it's just kind of another kick in the ribs, right? There's a lot of requests on the front line for better training, better equipment, um, you know, just conversations to do things differently. And those don't progress nearly as fast as the approval for these sorts of things. And I mean, I agree with everyone that this doesn't fall on Dr. Sheffler-Taylor, like the board is there for two reasons. It's to provide governance to the organization and it's to provide direction to the CEO. Any good CEO should go to bat on behalf of their staff, whether that be management, whether that be frontline, mm-hmm. it's her role to hear the requests and to take those asks to the board and say, this is what we're looking for. And this is why, and it's up to the board to say, these are your resources. Here are our strategic priorities. And this is how we think you should best utilize them. So I don't fault her at all for making this situation happen. But I think to what Nathan was saying, we need to have better better public accountability and a better system to make this all work. So Nathan can confirm the police board is funded by the municipality, but it's overseen by the province. The province assigns certain appointees from a provincial level, and I believe the police board gets a stipend for being on the board. So there's some good happening there that should go to Other places like the hospital, the police board is about a tenth of what the hospital spends, right? Mm -hmm. And they've figured out certain checks and balances that make that situation run better. So we could take some of those lessons and apply them to a provincially funded entity that creates change all the way from Sioux Lookout down to Windsor, right? Like that's hundreds of thousands of people needing the best healthcare possible from the best healthcare providers possible and management who has their best interests in mind, right? And there's just so many ways to make this better. And I think the first thing you have to do is you have to want to change
0: Thanks for that, Jeremy. I mean, I, I, I totally understand the the both, you know, similar perspectives around this is a volunteer board. I just don't, I feel so uncomfortable with needing to incentivize integrity. Yeah. I, I do take issue mm-hmm. with that. It's different if, you know, the police board's been the police board. We're making some different types of decisions. It's always been a paid small stipend for mm-hmm. being on that board. Transitioning to that model because we j- boards behave badly is a really icky feeling for me, for lack of better terms, I- even more so than the kind of controversy that we're we're discussing. So, you know, I think we need to have a, a, a cultural moment here where we we decide on what integrity what kind of value we place on in personal integrity and and how we support one another to do the right thing when no one's watching so that when people are watching we can be honest and truthful about what's happening and and that's we're really a community that's kind of void of that when it comes to high level decisions i'm not saying great work isn't done don't get me wrong Mm -hmm. i think that we have really committed people high caliber people like the ones that i'm seeing on this board are individuals that should must understand the responsibility legal liability that they're taking on and should show up with integrity and i'm sure these are wonderful human beings as individuals so Nathan's point has nothing Mm -hmm. to do with the characters Mm -hmm talking about the functioning body of a board, to have to incentivize for integrity is disgusting. Is it necessary? Yeah. But I I, I don't like that feeling.
3: I don't think that. I, I would speak less to integrity and more to simply accountability and what the expectation of the job is. Because in a number of, you know, for example, we would never have, again, I'll use the city council example. We would not have city council be a number of volunteers or, you know, use another use another board of directors as an example. Because when you're, again, when you're a volunteer, of course, you still have to conduct yourself with integrity, but the expected accountability in being able to uh, execute and what we can hold them to account um, when something like this happens, I think is, is difficult. And with... When you do pay a stipend or you do something like that, of co- like, I mean, certainly there are people in the community that wouldn't necessarily need to be incentivized with a stipend or a contract or retainer or whatever it would be to you know lean in here and make this the biggest thing that they have to do. But again, this is a multi-billion dollar or over one billion dollar, whatever it is. One and a billion. One and a half billion dollar corporation, which is very similar to the city of London. And we have, I think LHSC's budget is bigger than this right exactly. Yep. And it's, it's just you know, I think, I think you can. There's a number of people I know, certainly, and I think you would too, that have integrity, but when push comes to shove, they're certainly not accountable or will defer. And I think it's very easy to leave a job or to not perform, you know, when something like that is, is happening. But in many ways, I think we're saying the same thing, and I just you know to the point is that this the the board of directors or or a governance structure like this is the first place I would look when it comes down to structural issues when these things keep happening not necessarily whoever the CEO is of the day whether they're doing the right or wrong thing it's who's who's hiring them and who's overseeing them
0: in what world do you get tapped to get onto a massive facility like the London Health Sciences Board I have been on board since I was 16 years old. And I'll be honest with you. I've never been tapped to say, like, come along and come and do every single board. It it does
1: feel like there should be some application process. Of course, that's good
0: governance, Mm -hmm. though. It's a
3: good good point. And I'll say, the volunteer boards I've been on, in many respects, it's, you know, I know you, he'd be a great part of the board, or she'd be a great part of the board. Why, why don't you join us? Yeah. Rather <laughs> than something with, a, with an independent you know, process where it's yeah. being, you know let's take your resume, let's look at something like this that where there is an expectation and remuneration in, coming the other way. right
1: yeah. and know. here's the thing like so you're on the, the board for a, a, a seniors uh, or a housing project? yeah right? yeah, affordable okay. housing yeah. yes yep. uh,
3: Residenza affordable housing there you, you can write your checks. <laughs>
1: <laughs> please, please send donations yes. Um, but if it was a $1.5 billion board, it's probably a different vibe at the meetings, one would think. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Because I don't think you guys have a budget of $1.5 billion. No, not yet. Not yet <laughs> yeah. anyways. I
3: mean, we're going to get there. But yeah. no, but that's a, it's a great point. And yeah. it's, you know, you, what you will have, frankly, again, on volunteer boards, you will have a number of people there that do a lot of the heavy lifting because they do have a ton of skill set. And I could name them right now. The three of them, like there's a, there's a board of, I think, how many people are on ours? It might be 12, 13, 14, something like that. And there's three or four that do a ton of the heavy lifting that they've been in this. And frankly, guys like me are there to learn so that, you know, a you know, little bit younger than a number of them on there. Hopefully by the time I, you know, get to take over or something like that, we'd be able to apply that skill set. But the stakes are a lot lower relative to, you know, again, London Health Sciences yeah. Center and a, and a hospital that way. So I yeah. think that, and if there was, and we, we are subject to certain a uh, 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 Legal accountability mechanisms where we have to produce you know documents that could be accessed publicly and and a number of things Especially on applications that we may make and things like that, you know, um it, it, for that to not be the case for something yeah. like LHSC is, is interesting.
1: I, I'm annoyed that no one's asked you to be on a board to be honest. <laughs> well,
0: I wouldn't even accept it. I'd be yeah. like, yeah. what's the due process? Yeah. I would not That's go fair. on a board yeah. that someone says, we we like your character and we want you to, mm. no, no, what do you need? Here are yeah. my skill sets. Right. Do yeah. you yeah. need Do you this? need
1: someone who do, does these things? Exactly,
0: yep. because that I, and, I you know.
1: And, yeah. and, and a library board as an example, Jeremy, Or and, and you've been on a bunch of different boards obviously, mm. Um there's, uh, we don't have to get back to through the rigmarole as far as how the library board wound up being appointed and council kind of dropped the ball on that in a few different spots, uh, but the process it was stringent. Like you, you had to like go through the ringer a little bit.
2: Yeah, and I think that we all deserve that level of public scrutiny and accountability anytime we're spending large amounts of tax dollars. Um, I don't know exactly how the hospital board operates, but I can share that a board that I'm on. If I have any major decisions to make, I can send one email to every other board in that sphere in all of Ontario and say, hey, what are you guys doing? What do you think? At the same token, that CEO of that organization can send the same email to every CEO in Ontario and say, hey, hey, here's what we're doing. What are you guys doing? What does that lead to? We don't have one hospital sending 16 highly paid executives fully covered, and another hospital from the same size city sending one being partially reimbursed. Mm -hmm. Right, standardization is good, sharing resources, getting feedback, and then maybe you don't have a board where you become less efficient by severing ties with another local organization you're working hand in hand with and create way more duplicity like we've talked about in the past with having separate school boards. We now Mm -hmm. have separate hospitals locally. We're using more resources for administrative frontline operational governance stuff and less towards the actual mission of these organizations. Right. That's what it has to come down to. What's best for the patients? Right.
1: Uh, Let's uh, move on and talk about a a different story here, because I I wanted to make sure that we got to the City of London's homelessness plan. There seems to be some disagreement at City Hall about this, and it was uh, kind of a close vote and uh, a vote that people were surprised by in a few different ways. Um, They're spending some money on a winter response program, which they should. It's going to get cold. We have a lot of people in the city who are homeless and need a place to go. Uh, I think there's some arguments here that this number should be higher. I think there's some arguments here that we should want to make sure that no matter what we do with winter response, there should be enough wiggle room to still go forward with a hub if someone comes forward with a proposal. So this brings us back to the whole mess that we had with the Northwest London hub and, and that entire ordeal. Nathan, what was your read on how that went down?
3: Well, I'm just glad that this year the City Council got to pass uh, what the winter response would be rather than it being dictated to them by City staff in a lame duck session. But uh, I digress. I think that um, I liked the way that the vote turned out. I think that there's a number of issues with the process again. I think that coming forward with um, recommendations for City staff to come forward with recommendations in the last week of November for what winter response should look like with the City of London is just. Out of control. I mean, we should be having. When these should it come in? Well, I don't August? know. August? Like, yeah, I mean, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, fair yeah. enough. That's, hey, that's, yeah. I'm just we, one we, asking. We yep. pay them. The spring it, prior. Yeah. Right. <laughs> we, 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 we pay them enough to have these conversations. And if we don't, we should pay them more. And they should stay longer at the meetings, do whatever it takes to have the, you know, sort this out so that we're not in a time crunch when it comes down to it. But next, I guess, on, on the list, more more importantly, the substance of it. We were debating whether or not to put funding for 120 beds. Now, there was only $1.8 million available from the province, apparently, which of course I trust, and to fund all of them would be $3 million. Just for context, to get from $1.8 million to $3 million in a municipality that has a budget of $1.5-ish billion dollars is not complicated. It's not hard to do when you're talking about something like cold weather response and putting beds up to help people uh, in the middle of the winter. Because if we had only spent that $1.8 million, and, there's, you know, and there probably will be people that die this winter, plain and simple. And there would, be, would have been more people that would die if we had not uh, put up these, this number of beds. But for, for the RFP process to have opened, only one organization to have bid on it. And that organization have four applications, essentially, separately for a number of beds. We should be making it happen wherever we need to find the money to put up the most number of beds. And frankly, 120 beds is not enough. We could, we could There's absolutely more money available to do that. I know there were a lot of concerns raised about the date in terms of it being until the end of May. You know, the contracts were till the end of May for winter response. I think that's great points. I think that it would be more than reasonable to fund it only in t- excuse me, each project only until the end of March, for example. Yep, I think that's right. But when you only have one bidder, there's no leverage to be able to negotiate. And they could say, hey, guess what? This is the only one I'm willing to do. So you either get no beds or you get these beds and these contracts at this length. Mm-hmm. And when you have as much time as, you know, b- color me a little bit skeptical, but it's not city staff's job to just open up an RFP process and see what comes in. We actually have apparently a whole of community response, and a lot of the players at the table. There should be proactive efforts to court agencies or create social service agencies where they don't exist and are unwilling to perform the task. To be able to put up and compete, or, or you know, say, "Hey, here's a project. We're going to house people for twenty-four-seven through the winter, so that they can you know keep their lives, and we can we can sort this out." there should be those efforts, either by the mayor, by counselors, or by city staff. And you know what? I know for a fact that there's a number of very talented people. It was said on the floor of council that, you know, there's, you know, people are emailing me saying they would volunteer, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, of course it doesn't work like that. But now people are hearing this story and going, you know what? I'm a retired nurse. I'm a retired police officer. I'm a retired firefighter. I could team up with my buddy, Sally, and my buddy, Jimmy, and Jerry, and we could do something like this and we would do it out of the goodness of our hearts because we've got a good amount of money in the bank and we're looking for a purpose in the cold weather months and we'll help some people out i mean is that utopian is that out, not realistic maybe but i know those conversations are happening and i thought that an eight six vote um you know again i understand a lot of the the criticisms and skepticism that was there but for 120 beds three million dollars Yes, we probably could get a lot more beds for a lot less money, but you can't redo the process at the end of November. You mm-hmm. can have this discussion or you could sort this out in the middle of the year. And frankly, my perspective is if we were spending a little bit more time on the task in front of us, in front of our face, rather than trying to solve the world's problems with things like the whole community response and creating hubs, we could have made time for these sorts of uh, discussions and uh, done that. But uh, I digress and I think that it's a good thing ultimately that all of the beds that were available to be funded were funded and I hope to see moving forward. Um, obviously, these people you know, get help and, and get on their feet but also uh, more available for next time so that nobody is sleeping in a tent by the river uh, in the winter.
0: You know, to your point about the one bid, how inviting is it when we have seen the behavior of some of the our officials that were elected, mind you, by a very nominal margin of voters. So I don't really even take this slate too, too. I don't want to say seriously, but you know, it's okay. Yeah, you, you're, 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 you got the vote of 25% of the city that showed up. So when you have the narrative that's being the absolutely vile narrative, there are direct attacks to agencies that could have put a bid and and really put a real dent into much of the most vulnerable people and their needs, put a dent in, in in that. When you have only one bid coming in, it's not an inviting space when you have counselors slamming, trashing, and dragging agencies without even a remote understanding of A, how they take on their work on a day-to-day basis, uh, what it takes, what it costs, the strain, the stress. And so I see you no- nodding your head, Jeremy. Mm-hmm. I you know. Immediately at the top of my mind, I'm thinking, of course there was only one bit. Mm -hmm. We need to do better so that we're not alienating agencies and being in high scrutiny about everything that they do without a common understanding about what the sector is. But we
3: have, to go back 12 months, we have completely delegated the winter response and the response entirely to this health and homelessness situation to the very agencies that would be asked to do this. In fact, at the beginning and currently, it's framed as this cannot be a city city hall led response. This needs to be a community led response. So, if there was ever a time to, if there was ever a time where these agencies did have the power to shape exactly what they would perhaps be applying for and, and do that, that time would be now. But that has not happened. And frankly, I understand you speaking about the you know some of the criticism that councillors have, have uh, lodged towards the Health and Homelessness Plan or these agencies specifically. But the criticism is directed specifically pertaining to that process and, frankly, what some of the agencies are tasked with doing and what they say they're going to do. And uh, you know I would say Susan Stevenson is, at the, is the leader of the charge in that regard. But she was also the eighth vote that got this to happen. And the very same people that are always at City Council, many of whom are my friends, saying, well, we have to pass this measure. We, you know, People are dying on the streets. We have, to, we have to do something. We don't have time to wait. We don't have time to delay. But we have to do something, do something. And justify a whole host of actions that city council does that are recommended by these working groups of the whole community response. Those same people that justify those things by saying, well, people are dying, are the ones that say, well, we, we don't have the money for something like this. And we're not going to vote for uh, these number of beds. So you can't have it both ways especially from the city councilors. And you also can't have it in terms of the social service agencies. And again, I would say that if the social service agencies that have as much power now than they've ever had in the city of London are not willing to bid on this and, and make these things happen, then there needs to be new emergent social service agencies created by people that have the time now available uh, to make that happen. And frankly, I'm optimistic that that's going to happen and insert a, a level of competition in the marketplace, if you will.
2: So you guys are speaking my language here. Uh I'd like to start off by saying I have both professional and volunteer-based uh code of conducts where I cannot say bad things about city councillors staff. I love you all. You do great
3: things. I think uh, those codes of conducts are terrible, and I would fight for you if you do speak the so go with, for it.
2: With that said, this is like our fourth year in a row of deciding that it gets cold in the wintertime, right? And we start having conversations in November about what should we do about it. And so looking at the details that came out, 125 beds. Of those 125 beds, 65 open on January 1st. By January 1st, we've probably already had, you know, a foot or more of snow accumulate, right? And so we're playing from behind while we're trying to help 20% of the at least 600 people we know of that are sleeping rough right now. And their short-term future is not looking good because there is no stock in the rental market. And really, so we're just at, you know, a crossroads of just a whole bunch of barriers and to what Nathan was saying, some of our most impactful social service agencies of the last decade have come from well-meaning volunteers. You look at 519 Pursuit, they were just a bunch of people who saw what was happening and wanted to do better. And they made some revolutionary change, right? And the things we did as dads to be able to help people out. And I think we just have to look at where does the new energy come from? Where do the new ideas come from? Thank <laughs> you. And we also have to keep in mind that we can't look at a cost per bed. I can go to a store in Warncliffe that I go to all the time and buy a bed for $300, but that doesn't make somebody's life better. Uh, there was a hotel used on York street by Adelaide as a temporary shelter for homelessness. And I think it got shut down because it was so out of control. It was right behind uh, yeah. the Toll Puddle Housing Cooperative, yep. full of people who are one step away from living on the streets, living in rent to income housing. And those residents were being harassed, attacked, abused, assaulted, threatened by the people in the hotel temporary space because of the overall lawlessness that was happening on site, right? You have a lot of people in this sector who want to help and they need more guidance, they need more resources, they need more top-down support and motivation to do so. My workplace is full of people who took social service worker, social worker, we've worked in youth justice, we've worked in mental health, we've worked kind of its lateral back and forth, all the needs out there, where can we help? My coworkers workers go to work and then go home and detail cars, they go home and take photos, they go home and walk dogs, they watch kids on the weekends. They're taking on second and third jobs just to survive right now because one paycheck they take home is less than their entire month's rent. Right. And it's just, it's not going to get better. It's only going to get worse until we change our priorities.
3: Uh, I couldn't agree more with you, Jeremy. I think that, uh, makes a lot of sense. And as (laughs) we said, well, we decided in November that it gets cold in the winter (laughs) and you know, for context that last year's cold weather response I believe was five million dollars and it was not ever passed by council it was decided by uh as a result of the uh, hunger strike on uh, city hall and it was decided by city staff in a lame duck council session and they were and council was simply informed of the measures that were uh, being taken to do it so you know I am at least grateful that um council had a fulsome discussion on this, and I think it was quite revealing in a number of ways. I have also spoken with uh, at least a couple of the people who voted no for funding all $3 million worth of it. I understand, I'm sp- sorry, I've spoken privately with them after the fact, and um, I've actually made some arguments that I think they thought were reasonably compelling that were not made at the, on the council floor. And, you know, it can be reduced to you know, again, from my perspective, as, as a conservative, and I'm the you know evil conservative. Being a conservative doesn't mean throwing homeless guys in the river that don't have a home. It means focusing on what matters and the needs of, of people the most. And if we are going to be saving money, or if we are going to be making judgments, sorry. In other words, if we're not going to be spending money because today to help people today in a cold weather response in at the end of November because we want to save money for a broader, bigger, all-encompassing plan that's supposed to save many people later on, we've lost our priorities and we've lost the plot. And, you know, I, I think that as this this is very relevant to the hubs plan. And, you know, th- these are the things that city council can do. These are the small things that city council actually has an influence in rather than, you know, trying to, trying to solve all the world's problems and, and deal with, Things like, uh, you know, this whole community response with the hubs plan. But, you know, we had one agency that was willing to make a bid. And there's a a long history with that agency in the city, good and bad. And let's be candid. They deal with the high acuity of the high acuity in our community. They're doing uh, the Lord's work, as my priest would say. And uh, we thank them for it. But there's also a number of places and things that 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 organization has has gone and things that they've done that have not done... uh, well, how do I say, not a lot of uh, goodwill in the community. But if they're the only ones willing to do it, then they're the only ones willing to do it. And I was happy to see um, the vote go the way that it did um, with some interesting uh, divides. Uh, I didn't also. hear yeah.
0: anything about prioritizing. Sorry for jumping yeah, in no, like no, this. No. Thanks, Nathan. I, and sorry, Craig. No. Uh, you know, I didn't see anything about prioritizing the uh, cancellation of the 20. Um, Spots that were allocated for long term. That was that uh, was
1: something that was brought up by uh, by council yesterday. Oh, can we fund a little more of this if we don't do the hub that we were going to do in Northwest London? Uh, I shouldn't man. say yesterday; it was earlier this week. Uh, Councilor Preble, I think, was the first That's to ask right. about it.
0: But how devastating that twenty yeah. spots overnight that are long term transitional beds for women that was supposed to be set for Lighthouse Inn um, is is now sort of under the radar and and you know. I, I can't say I'm pro- surprised that women are left behind here. But and, to, uh, that wasn't you know. going to
3: happen anyways. It was already scrapped because they were, because CMHA pulled out. Right. So uh, it was money that wasn't uh, what, what, uh, what
1: I'm sad about, especially, is part of CMHA's deal was, we're going to do beds at my sister's place this winter. That'll be open up in December. And that's not going to happen now, just because of the way this is all shook down. And there's plenty of blame to go around. I think you can blame the city. I think you can blame CMHA. Uh, there's plenty of blame to go around for that. Nonetheless, that's the,
3: the reality we're living in is those beds that were going to be there are not going to be there. And this, this is what happens when you, again, I've been on this show for a year yeah. now saying this. This is what happens when you rush the process and you justify all these decisions by saying, well, people are dying. We have to do something now. Okay, well, you're going to do something. You're going to get a plan. And then you haven't done the due diligence. And frankly, it was probably CMHA that should have done that due yes, diligence in this agree. process. Yes, I They didn't do it, and you weren't able to hold them accountable as a as a a possible contracted service provider, whatever the the legal term is, uh, to make sure that they wouldn't be displacing people uh, from their place of residence in order to put other people there. But hey, you know what? This is what happens. We can't predict what is going to happen specifically when you rush a process like this, but we can predict that things like this are going to happen. Mm -hmm. And you know, we were so even you know the 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 people that are supporting that are supporting the hubs plan, I think the, the the closest vote has been nine to six for that property at Fanchon Wonderland. And the people that are the, you know, seventh, eighth, and ninth votes for the people that were supporting it initially, even they were on record saying the first hub, especially, but the first few hubs have to be perfect and a tight run thing. And we cannot get this wrong. And literally we get within, you know... <laughs> what a terrible
0: so approach soon after to the innovation. Vote, mm-hmm. That's so. a terrible approach to innovation. Sorry to interrupt you. No, but
1: so. you're, you're thinking we, that's, a, that's like, a... Take some risk here, is yeah. what you're
0: saying. Yeah. Like, I mean, what, what is innovation about other than Let's test this thing, and if it works, we'll take the parts that work and enhance them, and, and we'll revisit what didn't work. Like, come on, we have high-caliber people at the table making these decisions. What a terrible approach to mm-hmm. innovation. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not saying the plan is terrible. I'm talking about this perfectionism first and get it right the first time is a weird way to approach something that we, we can not We can't
3: displace people. Right. Like, oh, and and, and no, of and course. Yes. That. And that's what they that's were great. doing. Yeah. And, and,
0: and I agree with that. Yeah, they didn't talk to
1: anyone. Uh, yeah. No one and, knocked and, on and the, door. the process. Yeah, and that they, they did rush it. Yes, I agree. Uh, to me, uh, I, I, I think that anyone saying, well, we can't get this wrong needs to rethink the way they're approaching this because this is, we've never done this before. Mm-hmm. So you're going to have to, by definition, take some few, take a few chances and try mm-hmm. stuff that's never been tried before on the hub side. Otherwise, it's just not
3: you're not going to get out of you're <laughs> but, not going to get off the ground. But that's you know? the logic that's always used right. to justify causes like this one, right? But never things like on the opposite. I'll use an example. If we're going to uh, bring some of the um, uh, diagnostics in healthcare. Uh, and privatize right. some of those things. Are we allowed to use the same? Uh, are we allowed to use the same logic? Here's rep? the thing. I right. would. I'd be okay with that. Right, and I'm far from. I'm far from a, right. far
1: from a private. Uh, a public <laughs> only zealot, to be clear. Of course. I, and yeah. I know that. Yeah, what I'm yeah.
3: saying is that we, there's a number. Those that rationale and those reasonings are always used for. Issues like this one and, and what do you call them, social causes yeah. or something like this. Well, we have to try something new, but then there's no accountability after the fact when it doesn't work. And the same people that were there when it failed ended up end up trying to create the next program or just blame a lack of money uh, in the first place. And I just used the diagnostics one as an example. Mm-hmm. It's the first one that came to mind as a, you know, novel conservative idea that's certainly not, you know, appropriated by many of those who are in power anyways. But, you know, um, it's these are things again back to the core point is that we're not the process was rushed and they were not foreseen now when it comes to the cold weather response we have 120 beds going to arcade to be able to put up at four locations uh, one of them being I think 64 or 65 beds and you know what this is these are the the this is what we get I will say this uh, and I,
1: I I don't know if where the room's going to stand on this I think that uh, single groups of 64 65 beds is not how we should be doing this i would rather see Three loc and I know that you know that's pie in the sky thinking there's only one bed. I'd rather see three locations of twenty beds than one location of sixty yeah. beds.
2: And when I was running exactly. as a candidate, uh, I met with a lot of leaders in homeless shelters, and I was told that in the old system, they saved beds at the shelters downtown for youth. Youth would rather sleep under a bridge alone because they felt more safe, right? right. So I think you're absolutely bang on in that we need to make these environments smaller, safer, and more well controlled. Um, two things I kind of want to touch upon quickly. Number one, instead of reinventing the wheel for the better. We're almost taking the wheel apart. Uh, 2019, the trailer system worked and it worked really well. There was people on site 24 I, hours yep. a day. They were controlling I access the trailers. and out. There was heat. There was food. There was people checking in on the residents. Obviously, COVID happened and yep. once COVID happened, everything that we built momentum-wise fell apart, right. which did not really help and anybody. I've
1: talked to people who have slept rough in this community and, and have used the trailer system and, and not on the podcast or anything, but just conversations in, in, and they said that that was the best the city's done
2: here. Like it got positive reviews. So, and, and, and these are people now that have a different place to live or whatnot. But sure. Yeah. And, and number two, on behalf of the front lines, I probably would like to thank Craig on his advocacy for the hub system, for the wraparound support system, and taking the criticism from people that have their names on law firms and pushing back against it. Uh, as a front, <laughs> that was a fun episode for as, me. As a frontline social okay. service worker, I provide wraparound supports every day. That's everything from calling somebody to wake them up to make sure they're going to an appointment, to making sure they've had a shower, they've taken their medication, that they have food to eat that day, that they have clothing to wear, that they have of <laughs> Uh, you know, access to counseling if they're struggling mentally. And like wraparound supports is being everything people need so that they can move forward. So Anytime you hear wraparound supports are coming to your neighborhood, you should not be fearful of that news. You should be grateful for that news
0: because you have somebody
2: on site who has some crisis intervention training. You have somebody on site who's able to encounter somebody who's high or somebody who's in mental health crisis and to be able to talk them down, to ensure their safety, to get them resources that they need when they need them. That's all good things. And I think the more
3: resources we put towards that, the better outcomes we'll have wide and system wide. I agree with a number of things what you said. I don't agree that I agree with wraparound uh, supports for example but part of wraparound support should not be um you know enabling drug addiction and safe supply and things like that in in my in my opinion uh that should not be a part of these types of things and you'd get a lot more community support if you are in fact looking for a whole of community to kind of buy in and support these programs um you know when we're talking about limited spaces like for example the hypothetical 20 spots that you know we're going to go at fanshawe and wonderland there um you should not get preferential treatment, but at least if if somebody is sober or becoming sober on their journey, uh, they should know that where they're going for help is going to be enabling their journey rather than somebody else's. And and I've talked about that in the podcast before.
1: I think there should be a dry hub or two if we have 10. I don't think we're going to ever be able to be in a situation where all these hubs are dry hubs because addictions – such
3: an issue on the, like you're not just you're just not gonna be able to have anyone is able to go well, it doesn't mean that they're not yeah. allowed to do it they're not going to be facilitated on site right. and have those mechanisms on site i think that's a different thing fair back to what's what, the
0: argument for that nathan do you mind me asking like why sure. you, you use the terminology safe supply and i think yeah. it's the there's irony in the in sort of the phrase of like not providing safe supply so i'm well, i want to well, hear the Safe supply
3: is that. a is a is a you know a term of art to justify essentially providing people drugs or i you know i guess it would be uh, supervised consumption in this uh, in this regard but either one i don't think is appropriate for people that are at their most vulnerable state i mean we talk about what was the address 21 what was the place where it was the public housing unit uh, or, or uh, literally owned by the city of london in uh, soho area there and you know the the former Chris, uh, former uh, Chief Medical Officer of Health, Chris Mackey wanted to put a safe supply or or a safe consumption site on site of a building where there are sober children and women and single women and and, and parents and things like that. I mean, those types of approaches are, in my opinion, and frankly, I believe a majority of uh, of voters in and city of London in general, um, those types of approaches are out of control. And for a hub system, if we're if we're going to ask people, if we're gonna put it there in their communities and in their neighborhoods then there should be an expect- they should you know, be able to have the say in these types of regards of uh, you know, what is, is permitted on site. And it's just not, uh, I don't think that's, that's appropriate. To what you were saying, Craig, about the, the larger space or the smaller space, I don't think it needs to be uh, you know, 20 very small uh, spaces, and it also doesn't need to be one gigantic space. But I think from my perspective, it could be larger spaces, you know, maybe two or three of them or one or two of them, um, outside of neighborhoods, outside of residential areas, where, for example, we're providing people with necessary wraparound supports, as you mm-hmm. say, Jeremy, mm-hmm. um, beds. Uh, How are we going to do that outside of a ra-
1: residential neighborhood, though? Well, so, I like, mean, like, where's where's that going to go?
3: Well, why couldn't you do it on the other side of the 401? Why can't we, uh, you know, repurpose and spend a whole bunch of money on uh, the old Costco building or the old Knights uh, uh, Ice House? Why couldn't we do? I'm not, why can't we do something like that where it's a way? from residential neighborhoods where police can pick people up or people that are you know in distress whether it's police or otherwise could bring people to go get service and you could call it a hub call it whatever you'd like but it's not intrusive to uh, you know I just don't think that can be the only spot there has to be spots within the community okay I, but not yeah. necessarily in the corner of Fanchon Wonderland and an otherwise you know suburb for example and, and we can get again the whole debate is about where these things are and what what goes inside of them but mm-hmm. again there's not the diversity of opinion at the table to bring these, you know, uh, perspectives up. I don't think they've even even been brought up, and they're not unrealistic. I,
1: I, I just I have a hard time with the idea of okay, you're 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 struggling. You're going to need a little bit of assistance here. We're going to send you to, to you know the other side of the tracks or the other side of the highway, wherever it is, and you're going to go and, and you'll you'll go get some help there. I just think it can be you know on a major artery like Fanshawe park road if that's something that if, if there's a spot there that makes sense lighthouse in obviously sadly didn't make sense but if there's a spot like that that would make sense like and uh, this is coming from someone who lives
3: a go- i'm not going to say which one but a golf balls drive from a social service agency mm-hmm. right yeah right. well yeah. i i think there's a number of ways to approach it and i think that there's been a lot of uh groupthink in the process thus far and again back to the Thing of what we're discussing. Hmm. What suffers is that we have a conversation of whether to spend two or three million dollars to protect people with beds over the next four months as we are entering yeah. uh, a very cold and
1: what and and w- the spot right, I'm sure we all agree, is uh, it's right. November 24th. Why the hell are we talking about
0: this yeah. now? Yeah, mm. no doubt. Yeah, I there's so many thoughts going through <laughs> my mind right now that. You know, I'm in no way an expert in this field because I have not worked on the front lines of homelessness uh, and uh, at the crossroads of mental health and addictions. And I, I feel very sad that sometimes we hold opinions about groups who are suffering for multiple reasons and want to, like, I just don't know how we can bring people along a journey of healing and reintegration into community in a good way if there are sort of mega centers. I know that's not the approach that we're taking, and that's just one suggestion, Nathan, but um, anyhow, I'm... I hope that we continue to have conversation about this in a way that considers the whole person involved in experiencing mm. homelessness and mental illness and addictions. And I think that we need to treat all of these things, not just the fact that these individuals are unhoused, although the mm. leading cause of, you know, some of the things that we're trying the challenges that we're trying to, to navigate are due to the fact that they're sleeping rough at night at mm-hmm. really extreme temperatures. Um yep.
1: That's, yeah, it doesn't help. Um, yeah, These
0: are human beings and yep. they could be our neighbors, you know, our children's teachers that are struggling with different things. And you just, I just feel that this has to happen in community for folks to reintegrate in a good way and stay with supports. Uh,
1: yeah. And if, uh, what I hope happens next is that someone comes up with a hub proposal that makes sense and everyone's on board with it and we go ahead and implement it and we get some permanent spaces sooner rather than later. I hope Mm -hmm. that is what happens next. We'll see. Uh, Last topic I want to hit before we go, and I know we're uh, running up against time here, Uh, but uh, the federal government came up with their fiscal update this week and Christia Freeland was talking about housing affordability and things along those lines. I think that they're just doomed and I just don't know what their electoral future other than a massive loss could possibly be at this point. And look, stuff changes fast in Canadian politics, things go differently. But I'm having trouble envisioning a scenario where we don't go into the next election where the Conservatives are up by 10-12 points. Jeremy?
2: Yeah, I read through some of the points and to me it kind of, I, I guess I'll start by saying I'm a political free agent. I'm not affiliated to any party. Um, it kind of sounded like what rich people think that average people are looking for. Uh, like seeing the Black Friday sale on psychotherapy where you'll save HST and your psychotherapy <laughs> is still $150 an hour and nobody can afford Uh, So that one kind of made me chuckle. Um, Removing red tape for construction workers moving around the country. Once again, trades are needed everywhere. Why do you need to move, right? You can go down the street and make six figures on your first day on the job. Uh, And then you look at things like regulating short-term rentals. Like, we can't even regulate crime. How are we going (laughs) to regulate short-term rentals, right? Like, that's just... In theory, it sounds great, but it's just an execution. I just don't see it happening. International roaming rates. Like, oh no, I went to Brazil and my phone bill was expensive. How about making your phone bill cheaper? Right? Like, we are the most expensive country in the world to own a smartphone. Right? So let's not focus on the roaming. Let's focus on the actual bill itself. There's just a lot. I mean, the one thing I will say is $10 a day childcare. My kids are far from daycare right now. Some people say, oh, I never got $10 a day childcare. I made it work. Who cares? Um, <laughs> when it's $3,000 a month to send two kids to daycare so you can go to work and make $3,500, it's just not going to work, right? So $10 a day childcare should have happened a decade ago. Let's make it happen as soon as possible for my friends like Nathan who have babies at home. (laughs)
0: Thank you. I think the only thing that actually has saved them in this announcement is the continued efforts and the recommitment to, and continued commitment to the $10 a day childcare plan by 2026. That is their,
1: that and CCB, the way they've made changes to CCB. Those are their two tent pole things.
0: Yeah. This was a real missed opportunity but, to yeah. mirror New Zealand's well-being budget, though. Right? Like this is if there was ever a time that we focus on key thematic priorities that re- really deal with what we're dealing with as a nation, <laughs> what's our what our struggles are as an, as a nation, you know, and that was done in 2019 under a coalition government. eh? Mm-hmm. And they, yeah. they held that up throughout the pandemic. Yep. So, like, shame on us our lack of creative creativity in this nation to come across uh, to not be able to, to, to come uh, up with good financial uh, plans. And, and I know Nathan, this is probably raising all the hairs on your head with me <laughs> saying well-being and you know let' this isn't about um, conserving anymore. like we're in a real deep crisis. Like we need more than Black Friday sales on psychotherapy. There are people dying every day. There's an affordability crisis. 120 new builds that are going to be probably priced at somewhere between six to $800,000 uh, isn't going to help anyone right now.
3: Yeah. Uh, the affordability crisis, uh, as it is, is being you know, driven by huge housing costs, uh, inflation, and recently, more recently, elevated interest rates as a result. And you just don't have to look any further than the governor of the Bank of Canada, who uh, I've, you know, is not my favorite guy. But what he came out and said was, the priorities of fiscal policy as set by the government of the day, the federal government, are not in line with the priorities of monetary policy, which is raising interest rates in order to combat inflation. And that's, you know, that's a sentence that is massively telling, which is not a surprise to many people who have been arguing that Inflated deficits and a huge national debt uh, at the provincial or and federal levels um, have been a problem and are a problem. What we have is huge federal deficit spending and an increasing uh, national debt, which is fueling inflation as defined in a number of ways. Be it the carbon tax, be it uh, just simply you know oversupplying the marketplace with a number of w- w- essentially with cash and printing of money, or, or sorry. Uh, um, not pretty good money, with just the deficit spending itself. And what we had to finance that for a long time was very low interest rates and the governments could borrow in order to spend for their inflated deficits. Now we have inflation, which is a result of those uh, continued spending in times when we had uh, unemployment rates that were very low. We had, you know, there, there was not the same needs as we had when we initially um, started to incur uh, those deficits, or that approach was was happening uh, worldwide. So you have inflated budget deficits that are fueling inflation, which has triggered interest rates to spike, so that we can cool demand in the marketplace. And what needs to go along with that, unfortunately, and it's going to hurt, and it sucks, but it's been warned for a long time. What needs to go along with that is restraint in the fiscal space there's a ton of government spending that just simply at this point we could, in previous years we could have argued whether or not it you know was a good thing to do it it literally cannot continue or else inflation is going to continue to be high and interest rates will go nowhere i think there's an assumption in the marketplace right now that interest rates are going to go down and i think that's a flawed assumption I'm not an expert in this. I know a lot of real estate guys that you know are, are make a lot more money than I do. That are so convinced that their variable rate mortgages are going to be just fine. I'm not convinced because we're at five percent, I think now, uh, from the Bank of Canada interest rates, and inflation has gone down, but it's gone down as a result of a weakened economy. And I just don't see, you know, there's there's a number of things we could have done to make our lives better in Canada, whether or not you know. You, you, you can't inflate the, or you can't have too high of a, of a budget with, with all these massive deficits and kill our energy sector and stop exporting our oil to the world markets so that we actually get cash from you know foreign governments and, and other countries that use our energy rather than foreign dictators. You can't do both. Doing both is a recipe for disaster. And what you see is, to your point, Craig, you see... All over the world, the younger you are, and I said it a while ago here that Canada was the first G7 country, in my, to my knowledge, that the younger you were, the more conservative-leaning you are. And, but that's scaled out everywhere else. I think in uh, Macron in, in France, he wouldn't have been uh, their leader any longer if it wasn't for the vote over 60 years old to, to bring, him, bring him up. So all of this is a long way of saying this government absolutely has made the bed that they are now laying in. And there's a lot of people with uh, differences of opinion here, like we we're just uh, discussing. But I don't think either uh, people that have my opinion or yours, most day, are inclined to continue to support the current liberal government that we have. And that's where you see the bottom falling out of this government and moving to either the right or the left, and at least. You're going to have a government and a party I'm going to vote for that's going to look me in the face and tell me exactly their solution and what they want to do with this. Not one that you know, says one one day and does another a different day and is trying to put a ton uh, of uh, Band-Aids to, to solve a problem. They, they just can't.
1: Not a lot of time left on this, but I, I again, it's a long time between now and the next campaign. It may be hypothetically two years, well, not quite two years from now, but presumably October of 2025 is the latest we're going to do this. If that's the case, that's a long time between now and then. I just think that it would take some shocking turn of events for this polling data to turn around. Because the the housing affordability thing, you can build as you can start building as many houses as you want tomorrow. And that's not going to sol- that's not going to be solved by
3: the fall of twenty twenty five. It just isn't. Yeah. Well, and, it's an, you know, another example of what you're yeah. saying. I mean, I used energy policy as an example. You can't have low interest rates with mega high deficits and not build housing at the time and get all the private sector money that was on the sideline, Uh, you know, you can't say no to them while you're saying yes to all those other things. It's the same thing. And now, as we've talked about before, you have huge interest rates. And something
1: Kretchen and Martin pulled the plug on, which uh, I I think they should be criticized for more, the federal government used to build public housing.
0: Thank you. Mm -hmm. They don't do that anymore.
1: Oh, and Craig
0: for prime minister. Yeah. that, that, that <laughs> Jeez Louise. And, and
1: if, if that had something, and, and like, look, would Stephen Harper kept it up? I don't know. But if the Kretchen <laughs> and Martin not. folks didn't not pull not. the plug on this, we'd be in a better spot as far as. But governments have right
3: still now. funded, including the Kretchen, they still funded a different model for exactly that same housing. So, for example, oh, I, we, no, I, you I didn't have, have affordable housing integrated with market rental housing. I you to didn't be have clear,
1: do not think that the chretien martin card gets trudeau out of trouble here justin trudeau
3: could have started this eight years ago if he wanted to and he didn't right but but But, the the public it's about it's a supply problem and we had to build the housing and there were a ton of people at the table when they didn't have to spend a lot of money on uh interest to borrow money to be able to build now they do and now governments are going you need to build now and the guy's going it's costing me twice as much to build today as it did 10 years ago when i wanted to build uh, the very same unit. And they could integrate affordable housing, which they, you know, just can't do if you're not building it in, in general.
0: Does anyone not rec- recognize this cycle? So here the liberals fail, and then we have a turn in government where then we face deep austerity. And when we focus on the wrong folks, I'm not saying the middle class aren't important. Do you even know what is meant by the middle class when these politicians throw out that term? You know, I'm <laughs> seeing a quote here from... Uh, that's like, oh, the middle class is demolished. I'm like, but what, who are you talking to? What What middle class are you speaking to right now? And is are those the individuals that are truly the ones that are suffering and driving our economy to the point of complete destruction? Is this where we need to apply our energy? And so um, I recognize this cycle. I'm not in any way alarmed. I am worried about us because when the turn of government, if we are gonna get a majority conservative government, Folks like me are going to be terrified to live in Canada. Number one. Secondly, um, I, I don't. I, I just see more. I just see a deep austerity agenda that is looming, and it it's no surprise that it's been very gray and gloomy around here uh, these days. And uh, and that's that's what I feel is is going to happen. It's a it's a repetitive cycle that we keep not learning from.
1: Uh, I will say this. Um it is a repetitive cycle. We have done the same thing over and over again. It's like
0: Groundhog's Day.
1: But the train might be out of the station. And look, Pierre Polyev is going to get a chance to be prime minister. The, like the, I think the question is uh, But that is it's just but, like ludicrous. To but me. it's that's just the way things are going to go. The question that we have left to answer is: Is he going to have a majority or or, or like? Well, if he has a minority government, that opens up a whole can of worms as far as how parliament may actually look. But I, 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 I think that Pierre Polyev going to be prime minister at some point. It's a matter of when, not if. Unless something just completely changes what, what's going well, on Well,
3: I mean, in the last federal election, it was, uh, I think, Aaron O'Toole opened with like a seven or eight point lead mm-hmm. in Main Street polls or something like that. And by Labor Day, liberals had woken up and decided, no, we want to actually, we're going to vote for trudeau otherwise we were just going to stay home and that's certainly where they are now if not a number of them are moving into the conservative uh side of the aisle. i will say Day, if there is a conservative majority government a lot of my friends will be in charge and i can assure you you have nothing to worry about and you are going to be very happy <laughs> to i'm gonna hold you Canada. to that okay I, no problem i'm gonna call you all right absolutely uh, okay. no problem thanks
0: nathan uh, if you're worried
1: about if you're worried about significant spending cuts, you may have something to worry about. Uh, but <laughs> that, therein lies the there lies the trouble. Uh, we gotta go just because uh, we're we're up against it here, and and we've gotta vacate the studio. So thank you very much to Nathan and to Moshe and to Jeremy for coming and doing the show with us. This was a hour and eight minutes okay good job everybody <laughs> Thanks, we so talked much. a lot thank you very much for uh listening and downloading to uh this episode of the craig needles podcast which of course you can find at classic rock 981.com londonnewstoday.ca and on your facebook the craig needles out. podcast is a presentation of the blackburn media podcast network